Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and HALC staff. In his latest piece for Foreign Policy magazine titled Erdogan Might Be Too Sick to Keep Leading Turkey, expert Stephen Cook looks at some rumors that are circulating about Turkish President Erdogan's health and breaks down how Turkish politics could be impacted in the near future should Erdogan not be in a position to run for re-election in the upcoming presidential elections in 2023. We also look at what recent polling tells us about the political landscape in Turkey and how this is fueling speculation about how the opposition could line up in the presidential race. Stephen Cook is the Eni Enrico Matei Senior Fellow for the Middle East and Africa Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. Stephen, welcome back on The Greek Current. Great to be with you, Thanos. Stephen, in your latest piece, you bring up some rumors that have been circulating about Erdogan's health and how this could impact Turkish politics in the near future. You make it absolutely clear in your piece that it is never a good idea to make medical judgments from afar and that this is purely a thought experiment. Before we look into this thought experiment, what can you tell us about these rumors that have been circulating? Could you give our listeners some more context here? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. So, you know, in recent months, videos have surfaced of Erdogan in which he doesn't look well. There's one where he needs the help of his wife and an aide to negotiate going down a set of outdoor stairs. There was one from August ahead of the Supreme Military Council's annual meeting to decide on promotions in which the ceremony, it actually begins with the ceremony at Anat Kabir at Ataturk's mausoleum. And he walked on his own, but he was clearly having a hard time walking and he was clearly shuffling along. And then I think the most famous or notorious of these videos is a clip from CNN Turk from July on the occasion of Kubran Bayram, Baid. And he is offering a greeting to AKP supporters and he sort of fades out and slurs his words. And it did suggest that he was not well. And then of course, with these videos and other circumstantial evidence of Erdogan and well, are rumors about the fact that he's forgetful, he's had problems at times breathing, that they've limited the press's access to him because he's having health trouble, that he has an internal defibrillator for a heart problem, that he gets confused. Now, as I point out in the piece that these are rumors and these come from people who are knowledgeable, people who have tremendous insight into what's happening in Ankara, but they're not in the inner circle. And anytime you have videos, you're going to get rumors. And there have been rumors about Erdogan's health for a long time. He had stomach surgery in 2012, but it got me thinking the combination of the videos as well as hearing these rumors from trusted interlocutors got me thinking, you know, everybody assumes that Erdogan's going to be there for the 2023 election. Well, what if he isn't? What happens? That was really the inspiration for writing the piece is the combination of this and people sending me stuff and, and seeing the videos for myself and then hearing these rumors is like, you know, he's human too. So what would happen? And that's what the piece is about. And that brings me to my next question. As you play out, you know, this thought experiment in your piece, you look at what it could possibly look like if Erdogan cannot or does not stand for re-election in 2023. What would this mean for the ruling Justice and Development Party, which is Erdogan's party? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. It's something that analysts have been speculating about for quite some time. And I think the consensus is, is that the AKP would split 
in a variety of ways that make it hard to hold the party together. And that would pave the way for an opposition candidate to be elected president of Turkey, whether that's the mayor of Istanbul, Ekrem Imamoglu, his counterpart in Ankara, Mansur Yavash, the leader of the EE or Good Party, Meral Akshener, which is a party that came out of the nationalist MHP. Those are people who have been talked about as potential presidential candidates. And I, I suspect that if Erdogan were to die or become incapacitated and the AKP were to split and that there would be, you know, kind of free and fair elections, a kind of more normal politics in Turkey, that scenario is the good scenario. That's the one that people would want to see. But I have, as I wrote in the article, I have my suspicions that that's not the way things are going to go for the primary reason that the Justice and Development Party has been in power for 20 years. It's manipulated, hollowed out, bent, discovered institutions that are all geared towards institutionalizing the power of the AKP. And add to that is that there are people who've become powerful and influential and wealthy around those 20 years of AKP rule in which they've done these things to institutionalize the power of the AKP. And they're not going to give it up so easily. So I know that if I was an AKP politician or someone affiliated to the AKP through business or media and Erdogan were to die or become incapacitated, I wouldn't want to take my chances with the democratic process because if I were to lose, then there was sure to be hell to pay in politics. So I suspect that there may not be a free and fair election in Turkey. And that would pave the way for non-democratic rule, potentially through another strongman. One individual you point out as a possible strongman in your piece who could step in to fill Erdogan's shoes is the current defense minister, Hulusi Akar. You also mention intelligence chief Hakan Fidan or interior minister Suleiman Soylu. Why does Akar stand out over these other two? It's, I think it should be obvious by now that Akar has been the central player in reshaping the Turkish armed forces after the July 2016 coup. Obviously, he's had a lot of help, but if you just count the numbers, you see he's appointed huge numbers of officers, including hundreds of generals, even larger numbers of non-commissioned officers. That is a pretty important power base. And I go through in the piece, you know, why in the past this might not have been much of a problem but why it may now be. And I think some of the commentary, some of the responses, to the extent that they are thoughtful from Turks, have said, well, how could Hulusi Akar become the next president if he doesn't rule a party? What they seem to be forgetting is that there's always emergency rule. I hinted at that. I said that at least initially he would not need a party because he has a power base in the armed forces. And it seems to me of those three, whether it's, you mentioned Hakan Fidan, the intelligence chief, Suleiman Sorlu, who is the interior minister, and Hulusi Akar. Akar, because he has that base within the military, might be best positioned at a moment of crisis when Erdogan dies and the people who have wielded power and influence and accrued wealth over the course of the last 20 years don't want to give it up. You talk about the role of the military here. Can you walk our listeners through that relationship between the political class and the military historically in Turkey and why now you think that maybe it should be something that analysts look at, that the military could be in a position to play a political role again in Turkey. First of all, I always get nervous when people say the era of coups d'etat in Turkey are over. The eras of 
political interference on the part of the military is over. The reason that makes me nervous is not for any kind of cultural reason having to do with Turks or anything like that. It's that if you go back to 2003 to 2004, the AKP in its first iteration began the process of subordinating the Turkish armed forces to civilians through political institutions, through the constitution, through laws, through rules, through regulations, and through decrees. That's positive. But since arguably 2008, really since 2011, there's been a different way in which they have sought to subordinate the military. And that is to subordinate the military to the party and to Erdogan. And since 2016, it's actually through... Halusi Akar, who's been this central figure in reshaping the military. And that you get to a point where you have senior officers, like I said, hundreds of them, who owe their promotions and their power and their influence to two civilians, Erdogan and Akar. As I said, this would not be as much of a problem if the military was institutionally subordinated to the civilians. But that what the AKP started in 2003 and 2004 have sort of been overtaken by this kind of subordinating it to the party and to individuals that certainly was accelerated after 2016. So it does seem that there's a possibility, there's a plausible scenario where the military could play a role in elevating or establishing Akar as the new leader of Turkey after Erdogan passes from the scene in one way or the other. Mind you, I'm not predicting that this is happening. I actually wrote this piece for American analysts and U.S. officials because of my experience in the Arab Spring, the so-called Arab Spring, and that for years, people assumed that in Egypt, my other favorite foreign country besides Turkey, that Egypt would pass from the hands of Hosni Mubarak after he died to either his son, Gamal Mubarak, or his intelligence chief, Omar Suleiman. And that was what people talked about for years. And neither of those scenarios actually came to pass. So as we're heading towards an electoral season in Turkey, people, I think, have grown kind of comfortable with the idea that Erdogan would run and that he would win. But he's not going to be there forever. So so what are the plausible scenarios that could happen in a post-Erdogan Turkey? That's it. I don't know whether the, the military will play this political role, but it's something that there's enough kind of evidence, some data to go on to think more critically about the role of the military in Turkey in a post-Erdogan environment. Taking a step back and looking at the 2023 elections that are coming up from a broader perspective, we've seen some commentators on Twitter and other places that have speculated about who is most likely to lead the opposition in the presidential race. What is polling showing us today about the political landscape in Turkey? What it's showing is, is that there's been a softening of support for the AKP and that, at least anecdotally, you know, Erdogan is not as popular as he once was, especially with young people, which people are now speculating mostly on social media that this opens the way for the opposition. I don't know who will be that presidential candidate who will knock off Erdogan if he runs in 2023. I mean, he'll certainly run if he's alive, but they better well have a kind of positive vision for Turkey's future. That was one of the great strengths of the AKP in that it told Turks, under us, Turkey will be powerful. The kind of religious values that you feel and that 
is part of your identity will be something that will become more normalized in Turkish society. And importantly, Turkey will become more prosperous. And lo and behold, that was the story of Turkey, at least in the first decade of the AKP's rule. Some opposition leaders going to have to say, not only is the AKP and President Erdogan authoritarian and undermine the democracy and why they're terrible, but say how under this opposition leader, Turkey will be better, something that will satisfy Turks and compel them to take a chance on this opposition. Without that positive vision, you know, there's a ceiling for the opposition. There's a certain number of people who are always going to vote for the opposition. There's a certain number of people who are always going to vote for the AKP, and then there are people in between. And to this point, the people in between have chosen the AKP, and the opposition has not, because it doesn't have a positive vision for the future, been able to attract those people who are really in between. Looking at these polls, do they point towards any of the leaders that you mentioned earlier, whether it's Imamoglu, Axanair, or Yavaz? Maybe. <laughs> I think it's really early. That's one of the things that I don't mean to I don't mean to squirrel out of your questions, Dennis. I just want to underline the fact that there have been for many years, for as long as I have been a turkey watcher, there's always been someone who analysts, Turkish analysts, journalists, Western journalists, when they get around to paying attention to Turkey, some figure who they focus on that is going to be Turkey's savior and it doesn't ever really seem to work out that way. <laughs> so I think that, you know, we have to wait until we get much closer to 2023 to see what first what the polls say, then discount the polls and see how candidates conduct themselves. I think each one of those candidates, whether it's Imamolu, Mansur Yavash, Amiral Akshiner, they have their strengths and they have their weaknesses. I think Yavash's big deficit is, is that he would have a harder time attracting much-needed Kurdish votes. I think Emamolu, when he ran for mayor of Istanbul, he did have this kind of counterposition to the AKP's kind of political thuggery in that, you know, kind of, we needed more love in Turkey. Emamolu is like the Cory Booker of Turkey, running on a platform of love and understanding and unity and so on and so forth. But is that something that, that can win? Is that enough? Maybe. And then Murat Akshener has the great advantage of someone who is right of center. And Turkey is clearly a right of center country. But you can be sure that the AKP will do everything possible to undermine those people. And then who knows? Someone else might emerge as a potential contender from this opposition who can articulate a vision for the future. But I will tell you that, you know, over the course of the, the AKP's tenure, the opposition has been able to point out what it doesn't like about the AKP, but it hasn't been able to articulate in a coherent fashion what it really stands for. Stephen, thanks for joining us again on The Greek Current. Always great speaking with you. Thank you. In other news, President Erdogan said on Sunday Turkey had ordered agricultural cooperatives to open about 1,000 new markets across the country in an effort to keep food prices in check in the face of nearly 20% annual inflation, which threatens his popularity ahead of general elections scheduled for 2023. Annual food inflation, a global jump in commodity prices, and the sharp depreciation of the Turkish lira have driven inflation higher throughout the year. Erdogan's announcement came after the government threatened to find businesses selling at elevated prices. Trade ministry officials were ordered last month to investigate allegations of excessive price increases in food products at wholesale markets in major Turkish cities, including Istanbul, Ankara, and Izmir. 
Finally, Greece's conservative government on Monday revised its growth estimate upward for the second time in less than a month, following signs of a faster-than-expected recovery. Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis told a cabinet meeting that growth is due to reach 6.1% in 2021 and 4.5% next year, bringing output to above pre-pandemic levels. A partial rebound in tourism and the lifting of most pandemic-related restrictions saw gross domestic products soar by 16.2% in the second quarter from a year earlier. The new 2021 growth projection will ease the national debt ratio to just below 200% of GDP, according to budget figures. A continued high level of public spending on pandemic relief measures, however, will further increase the annual budget deficit. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.